At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? You know, I uh, could be mistaken, but I think I saw the sun a little bit this morning. Isn't that great? Don't see that very often, do we? Well, hey, as your, uh, as your pastor, I just want to have kind of this moment where I share a little bit of my life and what it's like to, to be me. And I want you to know that I hear all sorts of thoughts and ideas and beliefs about God and about his church. Just by kind of casually working through society, it happens. Now, what I mean by that is typically I'm not kind of standing in the, uh, in the public square preaching. I'm not invited into all these civic opportunities. They come occasionally, but that's not the norm. And, uh, and yet, I hear the theology of the masses quite often. Here's how it works. Put me in any social setting. You can put me on an airplane. You can put me at a high school basketball game. It really doesn't matter. As the, the moment happens where people hear that I am a pastor, I usually get a few different responses. One of those is this. <laughs> the other one is this. Let me tell you about what I think about God. Let me tell you my views on the church. And to be completely transparent, sometimes when people lean in, those things make me laugh a little bit. They're kind of funny. And there are other times where they make me want to cry because they're sad. One such statement that I hear again and again and again And sometimes it's even from people who are church-going folk. Here's what they say. You know, doctrine is good, but it really doesn't matter. It's just too heady and academic. In the church, we are about the heart. White Lake family, I want you to know that that idea is not only intellectually incorrect, it is also biblically incorrect. Allow me to say this in the most intentional, kind of pastoral way that I can. Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. It matters in the songs that we sing. It matters in the books that we read and that we discuss in the context of our life groups. And it matters to you and to me every morning when we get out of bed and we seek to walk in the ways of the word. Doctrine matters. This is one of the primary reasons that we will proclaim a biblical truth and then we will respond in the New City Catechism. Why? Because we are declaring that doctrine actually matters. And I want you to know it is not just a church thing. Like, oh, well, I'll go there and we'll talk about doctrine and that's where it will stay. No, 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 no. What I'm talking about is is something that goes beyond the walls of this church. 
It doesn't just stay inside here and we have a few conversations about doctrine and then we go about our daily lives. You see, doctrine is not just what happens here. Doctrine matters in your daily life. Here's what I mean. What the Bible teaches about justification, that's another word for your salvation, matters. And what the Bible teaches about sanctification, that means your spiritual growth, it matters. And what I believe about these things guides my faith journey every single day of my life. Now, I can stand on this stage and tell you that doctrine matters, and I can stand there and say that, and that is my personal view. I want you to know that. I believe that. But I can also stand on this stage and say that doctrine matters because Woodside Bible Church believes that it matters, and we do. And I can also stand on this stage and tell you that doctrine matters because that's what the Bible teaches. And that's what we're going to look to in just a moment. But before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, gracious God, we do thank you for the fact that you have given us your word. God, your word is true. It is truth. And as people of faith, we desire to live our lives based on what that truth communicates. Not just something that rattles around in our heads, but that is out in the public that's lived among our family, that's lived among our friends, that's lived among our coworkers, God, that that truth that we find on the pages of Scripture might truly change us. But God, for that to happen, we need ears to hear the truth. We need eyes to see the truth that's on its pages, and we need genuinely humble hearts before you that your Holy Spirit might mold us and shape us into the people that you desire us to be. So God, we ask that you would do that, that you would meet with us, that you would mold us over the course of these next few moments. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we kicked off our sermon series. It is called Church, Why Bother? You should see that on a very large screen behind me this morning. And we did so by seeing that God calls us into a family through the gospel. That through the good news of Jesus Christ, we are molded and shaped as a family. And then God also sends us out that we are called to spread that amazing truth, the amazing good news of Jesus Christ. We're called to do that into our world. But today we are going to continue in the first of two letters that a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy. Now he wrote two letters. Both letters serve to guide him as he seeks to lead the church in a place called Ephesus, but we're just looking at his first letter. So I want to encourage you, grab your Bible. We're going to be turning to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, last week again, we just read those first few verses. We're going to press on in uh, chapter 1 here today. Chapter 1, verse 3, specifically. Here's what Paul writes. As I urged you, 
when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. You see, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which that they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, for enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel, of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. We're going to stop there. Now, last week I mentioned that we kicked off the series just by looking at those first two verses in that section called the salutation or the greeting. And in that salutation, he uses language that is familial. He wants to communicate that those who have a shared faith in Christ, that we are, in fact, a family. We are brothers and sisters through our shared faith in Christ. That's where he begins, and then he moves into this mentoring section of the young leader that he is developing and bringing under his wing. So what does he begin with? He begins with doctrine. Look at verse 3 again. Remain at Ephesus, Timothy, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations or conspiracies rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. You see, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Timothy, stick around. Stay right there in Ephesus. I've got work for you to do. Why? Because doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. You see, in the first century, legends and myths were rampant. Stories were being told. Stories were being believed. Stories were then being passed along without the benefit of fact without the benefit of truth. In addition to these myths that were being passed along, the storytellers would often fill those with lengthy genealogies. That was important in this culture. And in doing so, what they would do is they would link the history of Israel and they would uphold the marvelous tradition of the law. So Paul gives Timothy an assignment. He says, remain in Ephesus, and I want you to stay there, and I want you to straighten things out. Now, let's be Timothy for just a moment, okay? You're a young guy. 
If you know anything about his character, he kind of leans on the timid side. What he wants him to do is stay there and tell everybody else that their doctrine is messed up. That's an easy call, right? (laughs) How do you think that would go? How would he do this? How would he fulfill this assignment to remain in Ephesus and straighten things out? He would do so by charging those not to teach faulty doctrine. That's where he begins. He says, I want you to stay there and I want you to address this issue. Now, at first glance, this might seem a little bit harsh. Now, we would say this would be harsh because of the cultural lenses that you and I are looking through today in our world. Because our contemporary culture will tell us it's all good. That guy, he's teaching a different gospel? It's fine, just let him go. That guy is not remaining true to strong doctrine? That's his truth. It's fine. Paul says, no, it isn't. Paul says it is absolutely not okay because no less than the foundation of our faith is at stake. He says, stand upon good, solid truth. And so Paul encourages Timothy to hold tightly to the gospel. Hold on to the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified for the sins of those who repent and believe. Hold tight. Because that's where our faith finds its roots. Not in myths, not in genealogies, rather in the love that flows from a pure heart and a clean conscience and a sincere faith. And this shows us the first of three reasons why you and I should hold on to the gospel so that faith might abound. We are to hold on to the good news so that your life marked by love and faith abounds. You see, this is holding so tightly to Jesus that others cannot but help see, hey, that guy's different. That person must be a person of faith. They have faith in God. You know how I know it? Because of the way that they love people so well. You see, our thinking is based on a sincere faith. Our actions are then motivated by love. One prominent theologian explains it this way. He says, in the hearts of Christian thinkers, their only desire is to lead others nearer to God. Christian thinkers are moved only by the love of truth and the love for others. So this is what Paul writes to Timothy. Let me make it a little bit more personal for you today. Does that describe you? Does that describe your faith journey and where you are today? Is your life marked by the gospel? Is your life marked by a sincere faith and a genuine love? We do a lot of things at the beginning of the year. We set new patterns, new trends. Take a few moments and answer that question for yourself. Is my life marked by the gospel, by sincere faith, and by love? I hope 
that it is. And if you skip down to verse 11, Paul concludes the first portion of this portion of our text by detailing ways that others actually strayed from the true gospel. They did so by falsely teaching the law. Of course, that's found in the Old Testament. But Paul then tells Timothy of a different way. Look at verse 11. He says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Allow me to say this one more time. Doctrine matters because from it we get the gospel. And from the gospel we get sincere faith marked by love. Now let's grab our Bibles one more time. Let's go back to the text. We'll pick it up at verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. See, that saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The apostle Paul has just shared with us a bit of his story. He's taken us into a little bit of his faith journey. At the end of verse 11, he says to this, he speaks of the gospel which he has been entrusted And then in this portion of the text, verses 12 through 17, he details what's occurred in his life. And the highlight of it, kind of the peak of it, is where he says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent, but (laughs) I received mercy. Friends, this is why Paul so clearly makes this urgent and an intense plea to Timothy to hold true to the power of the gospel because it's personal. It's personal for him. The truth of Jesus who lived a sinless, spotless life, dying to save him and to save you and to save me from the penalty of our sins. Instead, he received God's mercy And he received God's grace through faith. Look at verse 14 again. He said, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. There's no other way to say this. This is not hyperbole. Jesus changed Paul's life forever. Dramatically. And he wants everybody to know it. This highlights the second reason. The believers should hold on to the gospel so that sinners might be saved. 
We hold on to the good news of Christ so that sinners might be saved. Look back at verse 17. For I received mercy, why? For this reason, that in me, as the foremost, foremost sinner, the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. You see, Paul wants all of us to know that our individual faith journeys matter for others. What I'm going to say next might rattle a few cages, but it needs to be said. Believer, your faith is not private. I'm well aware of the fact that we need our quiet time and our private time and we spend time with Jesus. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. But what I'm telling you is your faith in Christ is not private. It is deeply personal, absolutely. But it's not private. You see, a genuine faith lived out with humility and authenticity is exactly what your family, what your friends, what your coworkers, what your neighbors, it's exactly what they need to see. You living out your faith in real, honest, gospel-believing ways. You. Author Matthew Barrett explains it this way. He says, the faith through which we are justified, again, there's that theological word, that means through which we are saved, then takes on living action so that our lives are more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Church, it's through you. Paul wants you and I, and he wants Timothy, and he wants all of us to know that it is through Christ, that we are changed. And then that change can display his goodness and his mercy and his grace to others. It's a beautiful picture. Now let's read the last portion of today's text. What we're going to do is we're going to find the third reason that believers should hold on to the gospel. Once again, 1 Timothy Chapter 1, we're going to pick it up at verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Harmonius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not blaspheme. You see, following the apostles' personal testimony of God's grace, in his life he kind of returns to the role of mentor. This charge I entrust to you, he gives to Timothy. What's the charge? Think back to verse 3 so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Well, how can he do this? By holding firm to the gospel. By holding firm to the reality of a risen Christ. He says, you see, Timothy, you're going to face warfare. You are going to face temptation. They are going to come. 
And I'll stand before you and tell you that they will come for you as well. But this is why he exhorts his understudy to cling, to hold tight to the truth of Jesus Christ, to hold firmly to him crucified, died, buried, and resurrected. This gives us our third point, that we hold on to the gospel so we don't shipwreck our faith. You and I hold on to the good news so that we don't destroy our lives. Paul wants Timothy and all who read this, all who would count Jesus as Savior, to recognize the great gift that you have been given. You see, Jesus, our Redeemer, has loved us. He's forgiven us. And he has set us free. That's a gift. But with that gift comes great responsibility to hold on to the gospel, to cling to the gospel. When temptations come, and as I mentioned, they will, maybe you're in the middle of it right now. Temptations will come, and Paul warns Timothy, hold tight to the truth. They might say, well, pastor, how do I do that? I mean, really, how, how do I hold on to the truth in the midst of what I'm walking, in the midst of the f- temptation that I'm facing? You hold on to it by knowing what is true of your God, his character, his attributes. Where do you find those? In the word of God. Where are they expressed? Clearly in sound doctrine. Church, as we close today, I want to share a story with you. It is a story of a silver cross, excuse me, a silver coin. It's a silver coin. When I first started here at Woodside Bible Church, uh, at the end of 2015, um, I was given a gift. And with that gift came a responsibility. See, in the midst of my pastoral peers, all of the other campus pastors are in this room and our senior pastor at the time, Doug Schmidt, he asked me to stand up and he goes over and gives me a firm handshake. In that handshake, he transitioned something into my hand. It is a silver coin. And it's a coin to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life. It is a coin to remind me of my calling as a pastor. And it is a coin that is my charge to remain faithful to the gospel as a minister of that gospel, to remain faithful to it. Now, silver coins are used in a variety of different places. They're used in AA. They're used in the military. But as I stand before you, this is my coin. It's a gift. But it's also just a symbol. And while you may not have a thick silver coin, by God's grace through your faith, you too have been given a gift. It's a gift that's been entrusted to you. It's been entrusted to you by your heavenly father. And as his follower. You're charged to hold on to the gift. The gift is the 
good news of Jesus Christ. It is the gift of the gospel. May you, may we hold on to that gift with everything we've got. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.